Hey everyone, welcome to another Making a Geek. I am Damien DiCarlo. I am joined with a few people on our panel today. I am joined with writer, producer, Craig Miller. How you doing? Okay, how are you, Damien? I am well, thank you. We also welcome Bryant Dillon of Fanbase Press. Hey, Bryant. Hey, Damien, good to be back. Good to see you again. Also, my co-host today will be Michaela Myers. Hello, Michaela. Thanks for having me. Hi. Thanks for being here. So, we have quite a retrospective to talk about. We've uh, talked about this already on Making a Geek. We've discussed uh, the Star Wars saga. Uh, now it's time to venture into the original uh, trilogy. And in this case, uh, we are looking at episode four, which was technically the first installment back in 1977 uh, in order of the release. But we're going to look at this a little more chronologically speaking as far as the time period in this uh, whole Skywalker saga, how it fits into the new movies, uh, maybe even some of the shows that we've watched on Disney Plus. Um, so I'll just go ahead and get going on looking back here. Uh, I'm going to pose a question and ask e each of you, and let's get your opinions. Uh, I would say that looking back at these films in particular, what I mean in particular, I mean the original uh, trilogy. Uh, we've revisited before uh, many, many times over. What is it now to each of you uh, how it's being watched chronologically speaking in terms of the new prequels now with the old in order and so on? Uh, we'll start with you, Brian. Let's get your opinion and your thoughts here. Um, that's an interesting question. Um, I, I guess where I would start is I would say that I am not usually a fan of the chronological watch through just because I feel like the films play out better if you have the, uh, the originally intended uh, reveal of, you know, Darth Vader being Luke Skywalker's father uh, complete, that that's not given away uh, prior to um, it, it happening in the film. Um, I think the Empire was designed to have that be shocking, have that be unknown. And so it's hard to force it not to be like that. Um, that said, I feel like because we know these films so well, it's very unlikely that even if you have not watched these films, that you're going to come to them and go, I have no idea who Darth Vader is, or I have no idea about any of these characters. It's just so seeped into our pop culture. So uh, basically putting that out there to say one of the fun, fun things for me as a fan, and I think a lot of fans now, is that these films can, um, almost similar to the MCU when a, a new entry comes out, they can constantly be reviewed and seen through a different light. I mean, one thing I'm really excited about right now with A New Hope uh, is we're going to have uh, an Obi-Wan Kenobi series coming out very right. soon. And it's probably going to change a lot of the way that we see the interactions between Darth Vader and Obi-Wan Kenobi in A New Hope. You know, we'll see them through uh, new eyes. They'll have new um, context. And uh, so, so things like that are very exciting to me. I know some other fans, like, that bothers them. But it's, I, I enjoy this process of, of being able to watch something I've seen uh, dozens of times and, and have new questions arise, see uh, line readings in a, in a different way. Um, and, and, and that is something that is exciting about being able to view them uh, consecutively is that they do play out differently um, if, you, if you go through them, episode one, episode two, episode three, so on, you know? Um, right. So yeah, that's what, that's what I would offer. 
How about you, Craig? Um, how have these films impacted I, I, you? I mean, I, I very much agree with Bryant on this. Um, yes, you, you obviously you can watch them in story chronology um, and you get one version. I'm, I'm sorry, I have a very insistent cat here. <laughs> um, uh, you get and you get one version of the saga and watching them in release order production order um, you get you actually kind of get a different story because it, it's it is being told as here's the story now here's something that more or less tells you how we got to where we are um, I think one of the problems of course is that, it wasn't conceived as a whole. It was conceived in bits and pieces. And there's a lot of invention of stuff that, you know, might be what led into it. And it's not even the stuff George was originally thinking of because everything changed constantly, even in the original trilogy. Um, the 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 first two movies were pretty much as conceived the third movie is a completely different movie than originally right envisioned so you know um you you can you could watch it in any order but i mean it's like watching rogue one which yes takes place in story order beforehand but really, we didn't know all that stuff, and it didn't exist. So I don't know that seeing it in the in the chronological order tells you anything. Right. I, I think it's more fascinating, and I really like Rogue One, but I think it's more fascinating as a, and here's how we got there, as opposed to let's watch this unfold. Right. I would say that your opinion here, Craig, is a very valuable one. Um, just for some of the audience that may not remember you from the last time you were on the show, um, what is it that you did on on Star Wars so everyone can know a little bit more about you? Well, my title was Director of Fan Relations. Originally in 1976, before the movie came out, I was a consultant helping Charlie Lippincott, who is the head of marketing on Star Wars, figure out how to market the film to fans. I, I was a lifelong science fiction and comics fan. Um, and so I helped with going to San Diego Comic-Con and all the other conventions and all the other stuff we did. And then right after Star Wars opened, I was brought on full time as director of fan relations. And as in that in that regard, I was a publicist, but uh, with a special remit to deal with conventions and fanzines and fandom. Right. Um, but then continued on doing general publicity and producing things like our visit to Sesame Street with R2 and 3PO and commercials and all kinds of things like that. So it's interesting to get your perspective on this being there from the beginning. Um, and it's uh, also, 
I would say probably see it from your point of view would be very different from the typical fan, just because you were part of production. You were part of getting this thing ran going and off its feet. Um, and it seems like you have probably the type of insight that most producers do, which is let's just see as a, let's just see how this turns out because <laughs> you're kind of <laughs> flying off to see where yeah. this goes and hopefully it goes where you want it to go. But as a fan, as a consumer, you're just, you're loving every bit, no matter what you're given typically. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, I, like I said, I was a lifelong fan. So when I sat in a screening room at, at Fox in um, early May of 77, and that, you know, giant Star Destroyer came on screen, I was like everyone else. I was like, this is the movie I've been waiting for all my life. Um, you know, it was I, I was, I was a fan watching the movie. But I think something else adding to your original question is, you know, I'm a lot older than you guys. I saw the movies as they came out from the beginning. Other people saw other movies first. You know, a lot of people saw the prequels first because that's when they were kids. So they come to those movies differently than I came to them. Right. Absolutely true. And it's actually a great thing on this panel. I have my co-host Michaela with me today. You're, Michaela, um, you're one of the younger fans of Star Wars and you came into this knowing prequels and sequels. Um, what is your take on seeing these movies now in this order that was supposed to be seen, quote unquote? How do you feel about that? I love it. I mean, I, I really do agree with um with Mr. Dillian and Craig, because, you know, no matter what order you watch any of the movies, you can develop that true love of Star Wars. I personally, as uh, Craig was saying, came into the Star Wars fandom with the prequels. Um, and it's funny because my friends and I were just talking about this the other day. We have a mutual friend who is just now coming to Star Wars and she was asking where she should start. So a bit of a debate happened <laughs> because some were saying start with the originals. Some were saying start with the prequels. Others are saying don't start with the prequels because, and they're very, very picky Star Wars nerds. <laughs> but the argument ensue. <laughs> <laughs> they're very picky Star Wars nerds, as you have to understand. They were saying, oh, they're, they're a bunch of war movies. Um, you shouldn't start there. And I was saying, well, I wouldn't quite say that. But <clears throat> yeah, that's where a lot of people start with. And no matter where you come into it, you can automatically develop that love of Star Wars because it's that that original fight of good versus evil that just never fails to capture our admiration because really each of us have that internal struggle, um, whether it's, you know, it's not exactly with the force, but it's struggles with imperfection and, and right. thinking and mindsets and things like that. But I am happy the way that I came into the Star Wars fandom with the prequels because you know, quite honestly, you get to see the familial ties of the original characters first. So you get to know the background. You get to know them personally. You almost feel closer right. to Luke, to Leia, to Han, everybody. You get to know their history. And you just, you see that bond with them. You get to know their heritage and you understand that character more. And it just brings out a different side. So I am right. really happy the way that I came into that. You also came in at a point where I, I think it's fair to say, not just in terms of uh, pushing more for equality, but seeing more of a presence of more female lead characters. And this is something that, you know, not that the originals weren't strong in, but this is now even more. So you have more 
more content, more fandom for everyone uh, of all ages. Um, Brian, I, I have a question for you, and I, I want, I'm curious because you're about my age. Looking back at these films, specifically episode four, um, what was it like seeing episode four for you in an age where movies are now predominantly CGI versus model work? Does that what does that what does that do to you when you see an old film like that? Like when it comes to model work. Well, obviously, I, I would say that uh, if you're, you know, even a, the, the most minuscule Star Wars fan, there's a huge amount of nostalgia for these uh, films. And I think that also goes into uh, practical effects, just when you think about uh, the way that people like like George Lucas or, or um, Steven Spielberg comes to mind, you know, use these practical effects to, to such degree in in a, a very specific, uh, you know, uh, time for, for kids coming up, you know, I mean, it's, it's mostly we're thinking, uh, like the eighties to the early, the early nineties, I guess, when, when we're thinking back to our own personal, um, you know, generation of, of, uh, nostalgia, but, um, I feel like, uh, I, Star Wars in some ways seemed to kick that off, you know, in a lot of ways. Um, I think, it, you know, it almost reminds me of the closest thing I can think of. Uh, and, and I'm not sure if Craig, Craig would probably be able to speak more to this, but I had friends who, um, when they um, saw the first Avengers film, they were like, you know, I, this was beautiful because I could share with my family who has known me to be this like intense comic book person for so long. I could share with them like, oh, this is why I'm so into these characters. This is what I, I'm seeing you know, in my mind that I've always wanted to like share with the rest of the world. And I think Star Wars, uh, you know, A New Hope had a, a bit of that um, because they really, you know, created that 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 um, imagined world that that many were seeing on the page, uh, you know, or, or in their own mind while reading on the page. Uh, for, for so long with, with sci-fi no novels, with even with the, uh, things like adventure serials, which were, it, you know, they went to a certain point, but Star Wars elevated that to a cinematic experience that, that everyone could kind of enjoy. It wasn't just this really uh, intense, uh, uh, you know, passionate, um, but small fan base. Um, and so I think part of that uh, is definitely the fact that the practical effects there's something to them, you know, there's, there's something to them that is, is hard to grasp exactly uh, what it is, but there, it's the presence of, I think, in camera that um, CGI can sometimes achieve, but, but struggles to, you know, I think we'll get there one day. We have got there with, there's, you know, several films I could name where I'm like, the CGI uh, effects are amazing in this film. Um, but there's a, there is a natural struggle to be like, well, I, you know, I have to make it look like it's lighted as if it would in reality. And then I have to, uh, we have to make it move the way that it would move right. in reality. And, and if it's something that like an alien creature that no one has ever seen, well, there's an additional layer of, of difficulty because how do you uh, tackle the, the uh, ability to make that seem real that you would be dealing with if it was practical as well? Right. Um, so yeah, I think these practical effects um, hold up a lot longer uh, right now, and and I think that Star Wars obviously was just a um, a game changer, you know, complete game changer in in the practical practical effects game. So, uh, Michaela, what does this look look like for you now? You're 
younger in age and back in the day when we used to rely on models and practical effects, what's it like looking back for you as knowing more or less, uh, for lack of a better word, you were spoiled with some really awesome CGI effects, but looking back to model work, what is that like for you now? I love it because, you know, you look at in comparing it to, let's say the sequels of Star Wars, you know, people of my generation have kind of been sensitized to CGI. That's kind of what we expect from these kinds of movies. But looking back on the originals, it's special. It's the best of that era. It's the best of what they had to offer. This is them saying, let's take this idea and do the best with what we've got and make it into a reality with this movie. Mm -hmm. And I love it because, you know, even, even in watching it with, you know, everything that I've watched nowadays with the, you know, CGI of Star Wars trilogy, Avatar, MCU, things like that. I love it because it's got the nostalgia vibe still. It's just so special. And I developed such a high respect as um, Bryant was saying, I developed such a high respect because I know that things like that were difficult to work with. You know, even nowadays, CGI is very difficult to work with. I I have such a high respect for those who work in that field. I could never do some of those things. But, you know, even looking back on on the originals and things, it's it's absolutely awesome. You know, certain scenes in um, in A New Hope where they're they're in the Millennium Falcon and they're jumping to light speed and things like that. You know, that that wasn't necessarily CGI, but that's still, it, it looked real, you know, and it was awesome when you're, when you're in the theater and seeing that on the, on the big screen, you feel like you're in the millennium Falcon. And I think right. that that's just awesome that they were able to convey that feeling to the audience, even back then. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I remember Bryant, we were on, uh, or I was just me on your podcast, uh, fan base, uh, weekly. And we talked about a look back at Ninja Turtles, the second one secret of the use. And we talked about how those practical effects, for me, I actually prefer it. And the reason why is it's fleshed out. It's real, something tangible. I can almost feel just by looking at it, right? Even though it's, I know what it is. I know it's a rubber suit, but I prefer that a lot of times over CG effects only because it just looks, it just has more of a real look to it versus trying to impress me with so much 4k detail. Mm -hmm. I'm more concentrated on the visual of, I want to see something, you know, real earthy, tangible, and I appreciated that about the old films very much. Um, well, and the, the prequels have some uh, amazing and beautiful visuals. You know, George really uh, obviously is a, a visual um, uh, genius. And uh, I think that he achieved things with CG that not only are, stand the test of time, um, but also uh, push the technology into a place that it had not yet been. Um, so he's advancing, you know, the medium of, of, of film craft that way as, as well. But um, I personally, myself, uh, as much as I love those, those films and the visuals, there was something about when Abrams came back and said, hey, we're going to do some practical effects. You know, there was something that about The Force Awakens that felt like Star Wars, it, you know, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and, and maybe that's OK, because the prequels are or so this gilded age, you know, it's, it's a different time, a different feel. Um, but it was such a such a uh, comforting, nostalgic feeling and, and, and exciting for me to be like, oh, this is feeling like I'm just picking up the next chapter from Return of the Jedi and, and going on, you know. Right. Absolutely. And, I mean, there, there's with practical effects, with miniatures and, and that sort of thing you have an advantage in some of the some of the 
excuse me, side issues like, as, as Brian mentioned, lighting, because you're really lighting them. You're not thinking what lighting might look like and, and trying to apply that as animation. You're, you know, and you have, you're dealing with gravity. One of the big problems with a lot of special effects, um, be it animation of characters or objects, spaceships, is gravity. Um, in using models, you have the gravity affecting the model. In CGI, it's again, something you have to create and invent and apply to your image. Right. Um, so that makes it harder to make it seem real. So it's really only the, the really best CGI that is able to bring in all those different things. And yeah, there's plenty of, of terrible uh, practical miniature work as well, but it's easier to reach the minimum bar of making it look good. I think in not that any of it's easy, yeah. but it's just because it exists. So you can deal with it in that kind of thing uh, in, you know, in your camera to make it look that much better. Right. Yeah, I agree. I have one of my good friends that actually I was just with last night. Um, he is a visual effects uh, specialist for some of the Marvel and the DC films and it's no walk in the park either for what they do. You know, it's a yeah. lot, a lot. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, None of it's easy. It, like you said, Craig, it's all hard work. It's just a matter of what we prefer in some terms of, you know, scrutiny with what we like to look at. And some people are entitled to feel differently. If they don't like visual effects, they like practical effects. You know, it's just a matter of what we prefer. Um, but by also no means do I think- what you're trying to accomplish. Some things just on their scope are better accomplished in CG. Technically, uh, yeah, I could see that. You know, there's a great example, honestly, in, in, in Star Wars um, with the uh, taking the, the um, alternate cuts we have for the uh, X-Wing uh, red, red team pilots and, and the, uh, the Y-Wing yellow team pilots and bringing them into Rogue One, the conclusion of Rogue One, uh, something that is only going to be achieved through uh, CGI effects, but is done in such a, a such a great way of, of marrying the both the the two uh, different types of footage and uh two stories you know one from from uh several decades ago absolutely speaking of effects um i'll, I'll segue into my next thought and um as we know in 1997 george uh spent about 10 million to clean the original negatives digitally restore all footage to make what we now call the special edition. <laughs> this is a lot. <laughs> You're already <laughs> laughing, Brian, because you know where I'm going with this. Um, let's go with each of these thoughts now that we've talked about practical effects versus CG. How do we feel about the special edition versions of the trilogy? Let's start with you, Craig. Well, some of them are more special than others, I think. Um, yeah, cleaning stuff up, that's great always better, you know, restorations. Um, there were some places where stuff was added that I think were beneficial to the movie. They added to the realism. 
in in Star Wars, and uh, I'm sorry, I still can't call it a New Hope. It, it wasn't <laughs> called that, and that never appeared on the movie until the re-release after Empire. But um, in Star Wars, there are things where we've added, um, you know, the additional characters, additional alien creatures, that sort of thing, that does help make it give it more of the feel. And clearly those are things George would have wanted to do had he had the ability, time and money. Right. Uh, there's scenes in um, Empire where we can see out windows of Cloud City where we have, you know, more uh, establishing things that help realize the world. But there's other stuff that got added to the special editions that I don't think made the movies better um some scenes that got added some other stuff i don't know that they you know they don't make the movie terrible but i don't think they really added much brian i know you're itching i'm gonna go ahead and give you the floor now <laughs> let's go oh, into yeah. this <laughs> I, I surprisingly maybe um i'm not as much i'm not as uh down on the the special editions as as some of my peers um I agree with everything that that Craig has said to a degree. I think that, um, you know, at the, the special editions when they were released, um, adding those those things uh, that make the world seem bigger or, or as intended, you know, um, I think that's very helpful. I think it's I don't mind at all some of the fan service of like we put this spaceship from this novel in the sky for five seconds. I think that's kind of fun you know, and, and connects the, the universe in a way. And it, it, it's not like it's um, distracting from, from what the original intent is. Um, right. But there are, like, it, funny enough, with, with each film, I think, uh, maybe Empire I, might be the one that I'm like, oh, I, that one's fine as is. There's one or two th moments where you're like, oh, I, you know, if I could pick and choose, I'd take that one out. Um, you know, obviously, I think the big controversy one, controversial one is, um, Han and Greedo, you know, uh, changing that exchange and, and the various ways that it has changed um, with like starting off with, uh, you know, Greedo shooting first, then, then we had a weird one where Han moved his head uh, right. really awkwardly and, do and dodged the, uh, the shot. Um, and I mean, the latest one I think that we saw is now, uh, for whatever reason, Greedo says McClunky before he gets i did not know that away. one actually <laughs> uh, yeah this was i think it was it was a, the latest uh, update for the the 3d release that kind of got um, oh, okay. hampered by the purchase of disney um when they put the films back on disney plus there were a, a couple new changes um just slight things like that um, yeah, like the color lightsaber and whatnot like those right things. right and uh, i think they added like uh vader says no now when he throws the emperor right. down down the uh chasm um but um, yeah, I, you know, I, I don't love the idea of like in, encouraging people to um, continuously tinker, you know, with their creations. Um, but at the same time, broke, right? right, right. But at the same time, it's theirs, you know, uh, it, you know, if, if they want to mess around with it, who am I a fan who's only appreciative of being able to share in this experience to say, no, you're, you're wrong. I mean, I think criticism is fine. Uh, art is meant to be critiqued to a certain degree, but yeah, I think the, uh, the special editions are, are just fine. Uh, it, I think everything could be relieved completely if they would 
just eventually release the original editions, you know, on the current media. I know there's some behind the scenes legal uh, snafus uh, for that. Right. Um, but I think that'll happen eventually. Disney's going to have these pro- these properties for a long time. So eventually there, there will come a, a time when they will restore those original cuts and that will be uh, available on, on a Blu-ray or what, whatever the current media is. Right. Absolutely. I totally George, agree. I think George has a long there. history of continuously tinkering with Star Wars. When we first released Star Wars, Every, people would say that they heard this dialogue or that sound in the movie. Um, this was in the 77 release. And they were all right, even though they all heard different things, because <laughs> George couldn't stop fiddling with the sound mix. And so the 70 millimeter eight track Dolby stereo has a different sound mix from the regular Dolby stereo and has a different sound mix from the 35 millimeter. And not just because of the lack of stereo channels, but George was actively moving sounds up and down. So sometimes you heard stormtroopers say one thing and other times you didn't hear them say anything. So, and that was on the original release. That wasn't, you know, later monkeying around with it. So. There's a long history of that with Star Wars, but I'm waiting for the version where Greedo says, okay, we'll trust you. And he and Han hug as they walk out of the bar. You know? <laughs> Michaela, I have a question for you. Hmm. Specifically towards you and then we'll eventually go to the others. In expectation of the new Obi-Wan Kenobi series. Mm-hmm. How do we feel episode four will be an influence here? We'll start off with you. I think it'll be a great influence Um, and not even just on episode four, but I think a great deal on, on the prequels as well. But, you know, I'm, I'm really looking forward for more of Obi-Wan and, you know, Anakin freshly turned to Vader reaction. Right. um, Because I've always craved that interaction there. And I know that we're finally going to get it. Right. You know um, we've seen in, in, certain shows, I won't give anything away, that there have been important characters in the Star Wars universe that didn't discover what Anakin had become until a while later. Right. But we're going to get something different with this. And I'm really looking forward to it. I just, I've, I've been craving that interaction, you know, and, yeah. and that, that drama, that, that, in, that intensity, because we know that they were brothers, they loved each other, and now look at what they've become. Yeah, and we got so, a little bit of that in episode three towards the end, specifically yeah. just at that point in time. Yeah, but Like you said, I kind of feel the same way. I'm hungering for a little bit more of that interaction because they they work well, those two characters like that. I mean, we won't even talk about the actors. They're, they're phenomenal. But those two characters, the way the drama ensues of how their relationship is essentially crumbling, but sort of hanging by a thread at certain times is very, very interesting. Um, yeah. Brian, what are your thoughts on how this will influence the Obi-Wan Kenobi series coming up? Uh, I think definitely uh, A New Hope has to be a huge influence because they know that that's, that's where they need to end up to a degree, that, that the, the Ben Kenobi, Obi-Wan Kenobi that, that Alec Guinness portrayed is uh, where we need to see at least, you know, um, 
spiritually to a degree, uh, you know, the Ewan McGregor character has to reach that. Um, and, and it's interesting because there's, there's these periods of time that are very interesting that have been sort of left open for discussion or, or further explore, exploration. I think the first one was when, uh, well, maybe not the first one, but a big one was when um, uh, episode two and episode three jumped over the Clone Wars. <laughs> You know, there was obviously Mm -hmm. uh, a lot to explore there and it has now been in in very interesting ways. And this idea of what happens to both um, Anakin and uh, uh, Obi-Wan after episode three, there's a lot there that I think people assumed we might see in episode three, you know? Um, Anakin is not the Darth Vader we know uh, in A New Hope when we we leave him at episode three. He's waking up still asking about the woman he loves asking if she's all right. right. You know, when we reach him in a new hope, he has someone who clearly has taken all the pain and suffering that he's feeling and decided, well, I have nothing left beyond delivering this on other individuals, you mm-hmm. know, um, to, to essentially uh, pour it out of myself, you know, to, to, to have some semblance of a, an existence that isn't just directed at, at the, the failures or, or uh, pain that, you know, he's carrying with him. And, and I think Ben's in a a similar, Obi-Wan, Ben is in a similar place where the, the man we see at the end of episode three is, is not the, the, the uh, individual who rescues Luke in, in in a new hope. He, um, he's very broken. Um, And how could you not be? Um, and, and one of the big things, like we make assumptions, I think that uh, as Michaela was saying that some of these characters, uh, we assume, oh, they know what we know, or we don't think, you know, oh, how, how is the death or rise of, of you know, death of Anakin, rise of Vader, how has that been viewed? As far as we know, Obi-Wan believes that Anakin's dead, that he left his friend on the, you know, shores, if you call them that, of Mustafar right. to burn and die. Um, the, whatever the force had, uh, you know, intentions to do with him. Um, he doesn't know that he's become this mechanical thing as of yet. And so there's a, there's so many levels to the trauma, I guess, which is interesting to me is like, here is a man who's thinking I, I lost everything. I lost my, my, uh, you know, my world, my best friend, uh, my purpose for existing to a degree, um and and my moral my moral standing i mean he struggles in episode three with being charged with with killing anakin he 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 tries to push back like no no i can't do that you know but he goes through that process and i don't think you can go through something like that and not be um changed significantly and so now he's left alone alone in a very barren environment a very hopeless environment to to you know to figure out what to do next, essentially, um, to, yeah. to watch over this young kid and, and sit with his demons. And so um, the idea that there's something waiting around the corner where he's going to realize, oh, I didn't just kill my friend. My friend has become even more twisted, more grotesque. Uh, and what guilt do I feel for what I did now? Like, should like, I mean, even just the simple idea of like, holy crap, should I have killed him? Would that have been better? Did I turn him into this by leaving him there? What as could I his, have done? You know, burn little, yeah. I mean, yeah. 
I, I hope they dig that deep, but um, that that's what what uh, speaks to me. And and then, then that interaction on a new hope where we see them uh, once again um, come together. Um, there's a lot that we can you know you can assume that's just them seeing each other for the first time, or there's a lot you can dig into there. Um, Vader says to Obi Wan, "You should not have come back." Well, does that mean back to the Death Star? Does that mean uh, a previous interaction? And there's this interesting thing that uh, was written without intention, but uh, Obi-Wan refers to Darth Vader as Darth because yeah. that's his first name in the film, right. you know, but not anymore. That's a Sith title. And then what kind of mental break is going on there or, or change in personality where I won't even call you Anakin now? You are, I'm basically saying Sith, evil thing, you know, like- right. Uh, there's a lot of interesting stuff there to play yeah, with. Well, play. but I, I think you're putting on there that we actually knew this backstory. No, no, I, I know, I know. <laughs> the intention was it was just his name. So it wasn't yeah. being done cleverly. It was right. No, it's something. It's something to be uh, reimagined now. I think as you as as creators are looking back at these films. I, I think you know we're we're applying knowledge to the movies. Um with the assumption in our heads that all of this really was planned and is of a piece. And, and we have to look at them since it is a ongoing story. That's the way we have to deal with them even though we know it wasn't created that way. One of the things I think is interesting is in the prequels, the Jedi are all good friends and they hang out together and they work out, not work out, but work over Train. things that they deal with. But in the later movies, the original trilogy and the sequels, every Jedi we meet is now made himself a hermit on some desolate yeah. planet. Yep. So if we are going to overlay something to this it's like okay what is it about being a jedi that makes you want to go away from society go away right. from your world every world and every person you've ever known yeah i think there's going to be a lot of parallels between uh obi-wan here and you know yoda when they both well yoda and, and luke in the sequels and luke in the sequels yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. set himself off in the same way there's an interesting like Henry David Thoreau kind of uh, mentality, I feel like, because you and, and again, I don't think this was intended, but it's nice to kind of like make your own headcanon, if you will, about how it connects. But we get, go from the prequels where the Jedi literally are, you know, the Jedi Council is on the peak of a, a huge building in the center of the galaxy, you know, and so they go from very, very lofty, uh, you know, uh, uh, status, if you will, or or influence in, in the main society to this almost like get back to the roots kind of mentality. And I wonder if if that will be in the in the writing this idea of like part of Yoda realizing that the re way they fell was that they got away from what being a Jedi was. It began to become this like government bureaucracy as opposed yeah. to like what is the force telling us what it, what is our place in the universe. Yeah. Yeah, it all it also depends where they're going to start the Obi-Wan series. Yep. Mm -hmm. You know, you could start with Obi-Wan finding out about the force and becoming a Jedi. You can start with him on the Jedi Council. You could start with him 
on, you know, Tatooine as a hermit. You could start the, telling the story anywhere, and there's a whole different set of tales you can tell about him. Um, you've mentioned a couple of, I think, very interesting places to start the story. I just don't know what they've got in mind sure. and where they're going to go with it. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many different things we can imagine where it would go. And I'm still clueless really at the end of the day, like uh, I'm very excited. I mean, at the end of the day, we know what'll happen, but it's, how do you, how do you get there? I also like to, I would also like to interject and just say, I always like to tell people that are interested in seeing Obi-Wan Kenobi to start with seeing Clone Wars, because you know, you get to really get closer to Obi-Wan, you get closer to Anakin. The really unique thing about Clone Wars is that throughout all of the seasons, you develop this, this hope, almost this ignorance that what eventually happens to Anakin doesn't happen because you just get so close to this character and, and to Obi-Wan, you see their bond, you see how deep it goes, you see how much they're like brothers. You know, in, in Revenge of the Sith, he said, you are my brother, Anakin, I loved you you see that in this series, everything that they did for each other. And then the fall of Anakin, it just, it it brings out so much intensity. So that's why I always tell people, if you're interested in seeing Obi-Wan Kenobi, definitely look at Clone Wars because you get the background, you get why this is so intense, why this is so stressful and saddening. And just, you understand where obi I mean, obviously depending on on where the series takes place as, as you guys were saying, but you still get to know the character more in depth. And like I said, you also, the way that the series is written, it's very interesting that you develop that, that hope, that ignorance. I got, I got into the series with my mom <laughs> and we, we watched the whole thing together and we both had that, that hope of, Oh, maybe it won't happen until you see the ripple, the domino effect of what's about to happen. So if Absolutely. you want some pain, <laughs> go on ahead and watch Clone Wars. That was going to be my next uh, question, which you just answered. Uh, bef- you read my mind. Um, and I also want to interject yeah. to say that you look like, the, uh, like a Princess Leia Force ghost, by the way, <laughs> with the lighting. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. The lighting um, was unintentional. So. Spooky. Uh, so same question posed to the two of you, Craig and Brian, before we uh, finish up here. Uh, what, where, what, where, and how should someone start with Star Wars. I know we've discussed this before, Brian, on the last retrospectives, but just maybe put in again your two cents on to as to where someone should start, whether it be Clone Wars, this movie, episode one. What's your opinion, Brian? Uh, you know, um, I I have two uh, young daughters now. They're just uh, over a year old. Um, when I I mean, they've already been introduced to Star Wars, so it's not like Star Wars is not going to be uh, something they know well. Um, You know, they watch all sorts of videos. They love uh, Baby Yoda and Porgs at this point. Um, They've been educated since the womb. (laughs) Right, right, exactly. Uh, So there's part of me that would just say, hey, it really doesn't matter what pulls you in. Uh, You start where where you want to. Um, You know, everyone's going to connect to different characters. Everyone's going to feel like, uh, different story arcs speak to them. Um, I mean, there's there's people that I know who did not were not captured at all by anything in the prequels or the original trilogy, 
but have now said, you know what, uh, Ray really pulled me in or, or Finn really pulled me in. Uh, heck, Ben Solo pulled me in, you know, uh, <laughs> he has a, a huge uh, fandom as well. Um, but, you know, and, and, and while I think that there's a lot of things that you can discuss, it, it, again, it doesn't, I don't think that matters uh, as long as the story is something that you're getting to enjoy. The, the moral messages behind these stories, the way that they explore characters, even uh, even when the stories have flaws, I think are are really interesting and and speak to uh, a, a sense of like old myth uh, myth or mythology. Um, and and I think that's that's something to be enjoyed by a wider and wider audience. Um, Absolutely, I will take my my girls through at some point and start with uh, Star Wars or A New Hope, um, and and go through that. Uh, you know, in in that. Um, order just because again that's that's the order that speaks to me it's the order that makes sense uh to me but uh i don't i don't think that there is any anything such as a, a wrong order or a wrong place to begin absolutely completely 100 yeah, how i feel go ahead craig I, I i i mostly agree i think part of it also depends on how old you are um chronologically and and in you know emotionally intellectually um because not that star wars a new hope was aimed at an old audience but it was aimed at an adult audience it was not it's an adventure movie so even little kids can relate to it it's pretty pure in that regard but the prequels were deliberately targeted for a younger not little kid, but a younger audience. Right. Um, so if you're starting with younger kids, if you're starting with 10 and 12 year olds, those might be better suited for an introduction. Um, heck, you know, you could introduce them with uh, the Ewoks. <laughs> yeah, I remember uh, that. <laughs> You know, it all, it all, I mean, I really think it depends on who your, who your kids or who your friends are that you're introducing, where is the best place to bring them in. The, the, it's pretty clear that the Star Wars universe is pretty, has got an awful lot of entry ramps that you can go into and uh, find your way into enjoying the whole thing. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure it makes a difference. So I'll, I'll go ahead and start with the Christmas special. Got it. <laughs> I, I recommend it. There you go. <laughs> hey, you know, um, I, I, in my book, I talk about the holiday special and I remember, yeah, while I, while I don't, I don't ever say it's good. In fact, I say the opposite. I think it's not as bad as a lot of people think for what it is. And what most people don't know is what transpires on the Christmas special is actually canon. I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. I don't think it is. <laughs> actually, part of it is. Part of it is. Is it? <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> well, you yeah, know, they, they, they really uh, embraced the whole Life Day aspect, uh, you know, in the last few years. And I think there's actually a Life Day at, at Disney uh, Parks at Galaxy's yeah. Edge now. Yeah, yeah. Well, there is Life Day at Disneyland now for in the Star Wars land. Um Boba Fett's gun from the animated yep. has been mm -hmm. shown in as his weapon. Um, and 
even though George hates the holiday special and has <laughs> released, the whole Wookiee sequence was George's idea. When I asked George back in 1977, because we were getting lots of people saying, why doesn't Chewie get a medal? George's answer was, Wookiees don't like medals. They were, that was something alien to the Wookiee culture <laughs> and that they would go to the, they would be going to the Wookiee planet to celebrate Chewbacca's being a hero. And that sequence in a holiday special was George's idea of going to Life Day and all of that. So there's no reason for that not to be canon. Well said. I stand corrected. <laughs> well, that's all the time we have. We are so happy that we did this retrospective on uh, episode four. Eventually, we'll be covering episode five, Empire Strikes Back. So stay tuned for that. Um, and before we go, though, where can folks find all of you? We'll start with you, Craig, and then and then Bryant and then Michaela. Um, well, in, in the immediate future, I'll be at Star Wars Celebration on a panel about fandom, and I'll be signing copies of my book and they can find me um i'm old so they can find me on facebook uh both uh with this is my book i've got uh star wars memories has a page and i've got a personal page um and uh that's the easiest place to find me and contact me about you brian oh you can find me on twitter at comic book slayer i'm on instagram at comic book sniffer also, if you want to check out Fanbase Press, which is uh, the indie comic publisher and, and geek culture website that I, I co-run with my wife, uh, you can find us at fanbasepress.com. Uh, we're also on Instagram, Facebook. Uh, um, we have a uh, podcast, the Fanbase Weekly, that, that Damien's been on that is on Apple Podcasts and, and other podcast services if you want to check that out. Um, and last, I'll offer that... Um, uh, my wife, Barbara, uh, and co-founder of the company, she'll also be at Star Wars Celebration on a panel on Saturday um, on The Mandalorian and Joseph Campbell. So if that sounds interesting awesome. uh, for you and you'll be at the show, check it out. Michaela, I just realized I think you don't have social media. <laughs> Ain't nobody got time for that. But Ain't nobody got time really for that. Into okay. that then fast yeah, you, and and no one can track down a force ghost anyway. So you just you'll appear <laughs> when you appear. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Hey. <laughs> All right. And uh, you can find me at uh, Damien underscore DeCarlo on Instagram and then makingageek.com for everything that I do. Until next time, everybody, keep calm and geek out. Good night. Good night. Good night.